Hey everyone, it's Will and James here. Welcome to the Pure Sport Project. We want to jump into the minds of people we find inspiring from all walks of life. Bringing you their stories, lessons learned along the way, and future plans. So tune in for some of them wholesome yarns. Yo, ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce you to a close friend of mine. I would call him my brother and we'll get into that later. He's an ultra runner, he's a plant-based advocate, he's a guy that goes very deep, has amazing thoughts, and someone I'm very proud to have on this show, someone I'm very proud to know personally. And yeah, he's a guy that's run over the entire length of the USA, which is a 3,175 mile journey, which he did in 75 days. So to put in that, that into context, he was running 42 miles a day, for 75 days he's a beast and his name is robbie ballinger how you doing buddy i'm good man i'm excited to be here and you're repping some some old school but sick pure sport merch yes absolutely this is my go-to hoodie at all times it's very cold here in denver colorado right now so uh, i don't really take it off live and direct from denver colorado too we have international friends here which we're excited about we have a new uh, a new merch drop me and Dollar Bills here are currently repping some nice, some good Looking good. A Pure Sport two-piece matching <laughs> top and bottoms, Pure Sport Run Club socks and hats, head to toe in swag. Hey, that's what we do here. And if you're listening, just just hear the swag coming through the mic. <laughs> <laughs> so the first thing I wanted to jump into, obviously you're an ultra runner by trade, but that isn't something someone just decides one day. You don't go, okay, I'm going to do ultra running because that's an insane, insane theory to have. So when did you first get into running and why, why did you do that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, running came to me as kind of a necessity. I grew up, I say grew up, I spent my young adulthood in the restaurant and bar scene, uh, running restaurants and bars, and I was doing a really good job of it, but I was also enjoying it a little too much. And, uh, the uh, pressures from a venture I took on were mounting and it wasn't really working out that I was partying so hard and then still trying to be a leader and see through the execution of this restaurant. So my girlfriend at the time, who now my fiance, she invited me out on a two and a half. Big up show. Yeah, yeah. She invited me on a two and a half mile run and it took everything I could do to get that two and a half miles in. But when it was over, I was hooked. And it just went from there. It was just a steady progression, half marathon, like a month later, full marathon, like the next year, and then got into ultras the following year and just haven't really looked back. I just keep, uh, I never was one to worry too much about speed, especially early on. Uh, my focus and fascination was with how far I could go. And I think that's how I ended up kind of going with the ultimate distance challenge, which was to run across the United States. Yeah. So that's kind of how it all started. Who inspired you to do that? Did you look at anyone that had run across the US and thought because of because they did it, it was something you wanted to do? Or was that, was that a journey you found on your own where you saw that already as the ultimate goal, so you decided to take it upon yourself to no, do it? No, it came on pretty fast. I, was, uh, I ventured down into Mexico for a race called the Caballo Blanco 50. Anybody that's read Born to Run, it's kind of made famous in that book. If you haven't read Born to Run and you're interested in running at all, it's kind of the Bible. But I went down and ran the race that yeah made famous by that movie with the Tatamara Indians. And while I was down there, I met a guy named Patrick Sweeney, and he just casually told me he ran across the country in 2015. And it stopped me in my tracks. I was like, I, I really didn't know people did that. But within three weeks, I decided I was going to do it too. So all I needed was that like 
it's possible. So let's go do it. So you took it upon yourself three weeks later. Yeah, well, three weeks later, I decided. I told, I told again my fiance Shelley. I said, I'm, I think I'm going to run across the United States. I want to do it a year from now, and that was on March fifteenth, two thousand eighteen. And I started my run on March sixteenth, two thousand nineteen. So a year and a day later, we hit the ground. Just for any listeners that don't understand how far that is, could you put some numbers on it, like distance, time taken, yeah, yeah, all that kind uh, yeah, of stuff. It, uh, it's a, so the journey I took was from Huntington Beach, California to Central Park in New York City. So essentially you're going from LA to New York. So you're going, it's about as long as you can go across this, the country. It's 3,175 miles. I did it in 75 days. So it averaged out to 42, 43 miles a day. I only took one day off, day 19, I believe it was. I incurred uh, really bad tendonitis and ended up having to sit that day out. But otherwise it was feet on the pavement every day. So an ultra every day, 74 out of 75 days. Insane stats. And you're actually someone that inspired me. I'd actually decided to do my challenge before I met you, but we'll, we'll get into how you became an integral part of mine and just what type of man you are and the support you give to others and not expect anything in return, which is something I struggle to think about in terms of repaying you, but I'm doing my best (laughs) and hopefully we can come up with some other ideas, but yeah, insane. And so touching back on your transcon run, how, how long the way were you recovering? Because obviously you're running every day for 75 Mm -hmm. days. You have a limited, a limited time between you stopping running or along the way to sort of maximize, maximize your recovery. So you could actually get up the next day and do it and only take off one day into 75, which still perplexes me to hear. Uh, Yeah, as far as recovery, it was something that I really learned on that run. It wasn't something I gave enough respect or time to prior to it. And my assumption was, is if I ran every day for 11 to 16 hours, I'd just crash out afterwards and sleep and get back up and do it again, and that'd be enough. But quickly found out that slowing your body down after that type of effort day after day, your body doesn't know how to slow down. It doesn't want to stop. So you have to find ways to slow it down to get that rest and recovery in. Didn't It didn't take for a while. It took about, I think in the first week, I slept about a cumulative 10 hours. I wasn't able to sleep. I had immense pain in my glutes and my quads. And uh, we started to kind of chip away at what it was going to take to find that that ability to sleep as kind of the first thing. And it ended up being, you know, honestly, it was a cocktail of Tylenol, CBD, and melatonin. And that was allowed my body to calm down enough to fall asleep. And then throughout the day, uh, well, something I did kind of coin in my head prior to the run was this idea of moving recovery. And essentially that as you're moving, as you're running, there's ways to adjust so that it allows certain parts of your body to, to kind of compensate for others while it has a chance to rest. Or if it needs to, you need to make those micro adjustments so that you can compensate for an injury. So you can kind of recover from it as you move. And that's everything from like, you know, like I was dealing with shin splints about 10 days in. And I realized that if mm-hmm. I'd push my big toe up to the top of my shoe, it would alleviate that pain. And that did it. That got me through about five days until the shin splints went away. But now recovery is something I do focus a lot more on. You know, I think what brings us all here together is CBD. Pure sports to me, Mm. the most like prime and great example of it. And I think it it plays a lot into my recovery right now, both recovery and performance. That's what I find very interesting about it. But um, yeah, recovery is becoming bigger and bigger part of my training regime right now, for sure. 
I think it's something we learn along the way, isn't it? As, as athletes and adults that the whole old school way of go as hard as you can for as long as you can, don't sleep, get it done, whether that be in business or in sports is luckily, I think for people becoming the wrong way of doing things and focusing on recovery and taking those, those extra moments to make sure you're at your best will make you better for the future and keep your longevity going. Yeah, and that's the name of the game, right, is longevity. I mean, that's what I want. I don't want to quit running in five years. I want to be doing this till I'm 80. So it's like doing it the smartest way possible is, is very important. You're going to be going some places if you're running till you're 80. <laughs> There's a whole planet to run around. <laughs> How did you find that lack of sleep affected you? Like 10 hours in a week is just so ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, it, was, it was twisted. Yeah. Yeah. Day, day three was like a scene from fear and loathing in Las Vegas. If you're familiar, it's, it was just this like awful psychedelic, not very fun experience. Sleep deprivation, maybe in like the first couple hours is all right. But after that, it becomes pretty miserable. I was seeing things. I was making up stories in my head that didn't exist and all kinds of weird stuff. Yeah. Honestly, like if I have a bad night's sleep the next day, I'm you know, putting my keys in the fridge and stuff like this. <laughs> my brain doesn't even function. So I can't imagine what it would be like to have 10 hours of the, of the course of a week while also doing a ridiculous amount of running on top of it all. So, yeah. Yeah. And it, it's kind of snowballs, right? Like it's a, it's a maddening thing when you're, you know, the, la- the, fir- the, mo- the thing you need to do the most is the thing you can't do. Like in the middle, like in these nights where I wasn't sleeping, I'd be getting out of my van where I was sleeping and walking around the van, just pacing it after doing 45 to like 50 miles a day at that time. And just, it kind of snowballs. It becomes a thing. I think that's kind of, yeah, it's, it's not a fun experience. The whole like ultra running thing is relatively new to me and listening to some of the stories they tell where, you know, they do these 48 hour runs and I was assuming they'd run for a bit and then sleep in the night and then get up and run again. And I found out that they actually run for 48 hours straight and they're talking about, you know, running and having hallucinations while they're running did you ever experience anything like that uh yeah again day three was probably the strongest feelings of hallucinations uh it was kind of more every it was like the hallucinations themselves were like the my visuals everything was just like a different color everything felt like a like almost like a one of the filters on our instagram you know like where you do like the tokyo filter or one of those everything was just kind of trippy looking and then I had an unfounded fear that a dog was going to come out of nowhere and like bite me in the ass. Like I was just mortified. We have, we have loose dogs everywhere on the roads, especially in, on like the West coast. And uh, yeah, I spent all day just mortified about a dog coming out of nowhere. So you also had a connection on your run, which was, which was really cool. You had a British guy help you, which I th- assume uh-huh. is why you decided to repay the favor and as an American help the British guy <laughs> doing his run. Um, and there's, there's one particular story that I know of, but I know James hasn't heard it and probably the listeners haven't either, but I'm just going to say, what was your funniest story from the trip? And I'm, assu- I'm already assuming it's about Elliot. It, it definitely is. And it's so fun to tell. I haven't told it enough publicly. So Elliot, this amazing, just amazing soul and a very free spirit. He does yoga. He was doing yoga on all parts of the United States, like on the middle of a country road. You'd find this guy with no clothes on, basically doing yoga outside of the van. But then he also liked to take outdoor showers. He's really big into cold outdoor showers and he would get down nude to do it. And as we were on the West Coast, it's very rural. There's no one out there. So it didn't really matter. I found it hilarious. 
But we made our way into Oklahoma, which is a very, very conservative state. And I was having a pretty hard day. It was pretty hot. Made it into a stop in this very small town. We're at a three-way juncture in the road. And <laughs> I was like, I'm going to take a nap here. Well, that was Elliot's cue to take a shower. And so we have an outdoor shower on the outside of our, our caravan, our camper. And um, he goes to take a shower. I wake up from my nap as three police officers are pulling into the parking lot and they look pissed. <laughs> Guy jumps out and he's like, who's taking a shower out here naked? <laughs> and, and of course, we knew exactly who it was, but I played dumb for a moment. <laughs> And then finally, I was like, hey, it's got to be this guy. He's in the camper right now. You know, you, you could probably go talk to him. <laughs> and so they go in and just immediately put him in handcuffs and put him in the back of a cop car. Like only, only like, a, like a rural Oklahoma cop would do. And uh, it required me to eventually like go up and coerce this cop into letting him go. And the way I was able to do it was they had, Elliot had shown him his driver's license, his ID, and obviously it was from the UK. So I walked up and I was like, as you can see, Elliot here, he, um, you know, he's, he's not from here. And he goes, yeah, he's from the UK. I was like, yeah, that whole like getting naked and showering thing. I think it's a cultural thing. I'm pretty sure they do that over there everywhere. For which he completely bought my story, let him out of the car and let us go. But yeah, that was definitely like the funniest thing of my trip and maybe of my life. Like I, I, I spent <laughs> the following two days just cracking up. Uh, and it's still, when I think about it, just like right now, I'm just, it, it's, it's great. And it's I just wish. such a wonderful story of Elliot. He is like the most calm, sweet human being in the world. It was probably the first and last time he'll ever have an experience with the police. Yeah, probably. I've, I've yeah. met him since as well when we did our little, our little video uh, thing for Joggle in London. He came down and he also helped me run one of my marathons for the 12 marathons at Christmas and can, uh, can definitely vouch for everything you said about the guy. He's also from <laughs> Essex, which is kind of hilarious to add that into the story of him probably trying to chinwag his way out of, out of that cop car. <laughs> but, yeah, he's a, he's a real good dude. So shout out to Elliot. <laughs> for sure <laughs> so we've had the funny story from from the run but also i wanted the listeners to know what was the most inspiring sort of section section for you i know you might not go into too many details but obviously i kind of know what that is but it'd be interesting for people to hear what yeah. that most inspiring uh, section was it came out of nowhere. I didn't expect it. I didn't know it was going to really even happen. But we ended up spending eight days running through the Navajo Nation, which is, um, you know, we have these ma massive Indian reservations here in the U.S. And I went into it assuming I was going to be there for like a day to realize it's like the size of like West Virginia, like one of our states for which I ran through. It, it just it spoke to me. The people there were very, very amazing and very poor, but very prideful and just really good people uh and the land itself tested me through that area was where i kind of broke through the barriers which allowed me to then find a flow state so through that that spot is where i was able i had to take the day off because of an injury but after i came, overcame that was i able to let go of the fear of failing at this i knew at that moment when i made it through that that i had the resolve and the will and the ability to push through um yeah just a real spiritual experience for sure your message for the run was more than just I'm running across the country. I'm a fucking badass. Watch me do this. You're actually doing it for, for plant-based advocacy. And you've told me how you're surprised along the way, because I kind of think it was still somewhat early in the, the plant-based 
world or the vegan world for that kind of that kind of talk to be largely accepted i think it's obviously sped up massively since the release on netflix of i can't remember what the what was it called the game changers yeah. the game changers since that kind of stuff came out it seems to be more in the modern eye but were you surprised how how well you were received when you when you were spreading that message for the plant-based lifestyle I, I, yeah absolutely i expected a lot of uh deniers a lot of people to give me a lot of pushback about that and it really it didn't work that way people were very open to the conversation i think that just comes from a place of culturally we're at a place where people are realizing a lot of people are unhealthy and they can acknowledge that in themselves and in their communities and you come through saying like here's this healthier option and people were at least willing to hear the conversation and admit to needing to refine their food choices a little bit and clean it up but yeah, that, that was something that uh, was really warming and, and, and touched me to see that people, there were no naysayers. People were totally down to have this conversation. Well, you hooked me as well, because in our conversations before you coming, you did, you did say, and this is something I really like about you and people in the space that don't want to press their agenda on people, rather just give some advice about what's worked for them. So when I did John and Great Salon Zen, you came and helped me and you said to me, well, I think you should do it plant-based. I don't care if you're eating a steak the day before you go out, although I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't sort of recommend it. But you led me down that path to something that has impacted me in such a beneficial way. Because even though I might not be plant-based all the time, there are sections of my life, especially when I'm in high training and in competition, where I adopt that that lifestyle again. Um, so just not having that pushy agenda like you have to do this this definitely works for you i think i think is a great thing to have everyone is different and everyone reacts to things differently but even i i now when i get asked questions about advice for people doing their fast ultra one of the first things i say is leading on from what you said about doing it plant-based so this this huge for everyone and it's great that you fly that flag in the way you do well thank you yeah i don't i think absolutisms and like telling people what they got to do isn't going to get anybody anywhere and for me, it, it was more, as much as about my experiences about being 100% plant-based, I think that there's a big, very, there's a big, there's a big space in there of where we can be, but the acknowledgement that the more plants we eat, the healthier we're going to be. And honestly, at the end of the day, the better it's going to be for our world and environment. Like just if we can instill that in people, that's where we need to be. I mean, from a performance standpoint, if you're doing something that's like endurance events, like uh, inflammation is something we deal with. We don't, we want to keep away as to be, we don't want to be sore. We want to get to be able to push on and meat causes inflammation, inflammation causes soreness. So just in that part alone, it's going to give you an edge when it comes to putting feet on the pavement for days after days or whatever that endurance event might be. Well, you even got my old man, Graham, who's the most <laughs> straightforward, narrow-minded, had a carpentry business geezer still now oh he, what the what he did the other day was hilarious he made he makes a vegan chili quite a lot he was blackening i'll say it in your language an eggplant on the stove <laughs> <laughs> and i was like i was like dad what are you doing he was like i'm making a vegan chili i found this real good recipe in which you have to blacken the aubergine on the stove i was like wow robbie has Amazing. got you good and it's like almost two years later <laughs> love it <laughs> Big up Can you give us um, an insight on what it is you would actually eat while doing such huge distances? Because like for me personally, I lose my appetite when I do any kind of long distance training. So for me to get calories in, I just grab anything and everything. So, But 
for you, there was obviously going to have to be some sort of planning involved because you've just got day after day after day and there is no kind of just wing it and hope for the best approach, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. I was really lucky in that my sister-in-law to be my fiance's sister was my crew chief and also she's a plant-based nutritionist so she really helped to develop my food plan first of all i had to go into the situation knowing on day one that food was not going to be something i enjoyed for 75 days it was going to be a means to an end a means to getting across the country so just pushing away like what i desired what i wanted and just saying this is fuel that was first and foremost and then from there we knew i was going to need to consume about 8,000 calories a day so I was eating 11 times a day. And in order to get to get what I needed in, we concocted a smoothie that was about 1,000 calories, and I would have three or four of those a day. And with that, it was nut butters, coconut milk, veggies, chia seeds, and then a meal replacer. Uh, over here, we use Soylent. I don't know if anyone's heard of that, or Huel is another one. And mm. essentially, it gives your body everything you need to to continue, it has all of the vitamins, minerals, everything. So we were putting that in there just to kind of round out the calories and make sure I was getting like the, the macronutrients I needed. That was a big part of it. And then I'd start off the morning with a cup of coffee and a bowl of porridge, as Elliot called it. Every single day, Elliot, my, my British companion, woke me up every single day of 75 days with a cup of coffee and a bowl of porridge, which we call oatmeal over here, but I will never call it that again. <laughs> And then finish off the day was a big bowl of a, like a, it was called outdoor herbivore, uh, camp, like a camping meal, freeze dried. I would do a double portion of that cooked down with uh, coconut milk. And then kind of our saying on the road was I was allowed to have one beer, sometimes two, but never three. And that was, that was what kept everything in line. It would round out the calories and start the process of slowing down and falling asleep. Um, but yeah, that was the food. I didn't really enjoy it. By the end, I was, the last thing I wanted to do was eat, but I had to continue. What was the first thing you did on the, the day you'd finished? So the following day, because obviously you've got this routine of you eat this, you get up at this time, you have your, yeah. your bowl of porridge and coffee. <laughs> and then there's the day after you finish and it's like, what did you do? Yeah, I was in New York City, which added a whole layer to it as well. I mean, you're, you go from being out on open roads to like one of the most vibrant cities in the world. I woke up and my fiance coerced me out of bed. It took a while. And then we got a cup of coffee and she took me straight to the barber to get a cleanup because I was, I was pretty mangy at that point. Uh, and then it was like food and beer for the rest of the day, I think, you know, just trying to celebrate, but also come down from something. It's really hard. You know, you, you do something for those many days, like William can attest to this. And then you get to the finish and it's just a hard stop. It's just like I, my mind and my body has just been go, go, go. And here we cross this line and all that you've worked for and that you've put momentum into is just done. And there's a reckoning that comes from that. And it starts right away. You just don't know what to do with yourself. So that leads on actually to what my next question was the post sort of challenge depression some people call it as you just said you're at it every day it's all you know your simple task for the day is robbie wake up run until you can't run anymore go to sleep we're going to feed you it's probably clean you as well the whole time how did you deal with that time like after the challenge of kind of getting your head back together and and right and ready to sort of think what am i going to do next yeah, it was, that was a challenge. That was in a lot of ways more challenging than the run itself. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, for me, this was my first really big challenge. This was that thing that was going to define me as a runner. 
And I think somewhere in there subconsciously, when you set out on something like that, you hope it's going to cure something or make something in your life that's going to it's going to do something big for you. And in a lot of ways it did, it really, you know, set the tone for who I am now and will be for the rest of my life. But another way, like you kind of have this, I think notion that you're going to get done and birds are going to be chirping and life's just going to be easy. And the reality is, is like life's still life. I'm still the same person. It's going to have struggles. And that realization was hard to, to come to terms with. And then also that part of what you just said is like, what do you do next? Everything I had done for essentially the year leading up to the run and then the two and a half months it took to do it. So you're looking at like 16 months essentially where everything was about getting to that finish line. And then you get to the finish line and the slate's clean and you don't know what you're going to do next. And your sponsorships are running out. So your mechanism for, you know, putting food on the table is going to go away. So it was, it was a long struggle, uh, a reckoning in a lot of ways to kind of get through those things and break through to being in a positive place again but it wasn't all gloom and doom. Like definitely have more confidence in myself than I ever did before. And then too, right when you finish, it's also like, how do you get back to doing those little things in life that everybody else has been doing for you for the last 75 days, simply like putting money on the Metro card to get on the, the tube, you know, on the subway in New York. Like I didn't know how to do that. It's the most simple interface mm-hmm. in the world. It's made so that like literally anyone can do it. And here I am, like what I'd like to say as a pretty smart intellectual human could not figure it out. Like it was just too much. So there was even those things of getting back in, in line with the ability to mm-hmm. do that or like swipe your card, you know, at the pub after getting a beer. You're like, you mm-hmm. want me to pay for it? I thought I had a whole crew of people that were going to do that <laughs> for me. Fetch that for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, um, it's like me repaying the favor to you. I'd, I'd, I stand by the only thing I actually did for my challenge was wipe my own ass. And there were times it was close to people jumping in to do that for me. So as Robbie became my Elliot, the morning after when we woke up at this hotel, I decided that I was going to take him up some coffee and some, we didn't have porridge where we were staying. So I took him up some fruit and a, and some cereal and I knocked on the door. I was like, Robbie, I've got you, I've got your coffee and oatmeal. <laughs> And he lost his shit, which was good news. But I don't know yeah, if yeah. I gave you a little terror thinking you were back in that zone again. But yeah, I had, kinda, I had to like repay a flashback. the favor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you were fully asleep because on these challenges, it's funny that there's one person or it's often one person doing it, or the people are doing the challenge. And what people fail to really see sometimes is the amount of effort that goes in from all the other people involved. So like personally for me with, with you and Josh Warner, just because you you were both still putting in some fucking stupid miles with me every day, but then you were also awake before me in the morning, doing everything th- for me throughout the day, and then going to bed after me. So there's this there's this huge layer of appreciation that you get, you get from doing these challenges, which is which is insane, and kind of leads me on to community and, and kind of what it means to you because I think we're kind of similar in a way where running for us at the beginning was like a kind of a lonely thing like I I know we're in that same headspace sometimes where we say we miss being in the gutter on your own in the dark in the middle of the night batteries at zero however you, we can't do everything alone and as good as those times kind of are the whole community aspect of things is what massively levels it up for me and I wanted to know from your point of view kind of, what does community mean to you how do you grab hold of it and what do you want to radiate out to the out to your personal community? Yeah, I mean, as far as like in these efforts, like the community aspect of it was 
the surprise. It was the thing that meant the most to me is like, it was a place of feeling like you belonged and you're with like your tribe and everybody's out to execute this thing together. And that just meant so much. And that was a big part of the come down too, was all of a sudden feeling isolated again. I mean, there, there I was for two and a half months where I had a group of people around me all the time that they were there for me. I was there for them and I felt heard. I felt acknowledged and then you get done and you kind of get back into your normal routine, which is a lot more isolating. But I think that just to me, community, what the main thing is really about is that like mutual inspiration. Like when you're, if you found good community and you found a good group of people that you choose to identify with, like I would hope and expect that what you're doing is you're bouncing off of each other inspiration and keeping each other accountable. And together through that is where like growth comes. And that's where we grow as a community, as an, in, as an individual. You know, I think a, a hermit living in a cabin by himself isn't really growing. They're not really, it takes other people. It takes other people's, them to inspire you and you to inspire them. And that's just, that's the importance of it, in, in my opinion. Bounces off each other. Protect your circle. They'll protect yeah. you if you're inspired by Absolutely. those around you. It's the whole thing about sort of social media and how it can be hugely damaging, but it can also be hugely uplifting, which is a personal story between myself and you. Um, if you're looking at trash all the time and hashtag ad and booty tea, you're going to get shredded in fucking three hours from doing this workout. It's just going to melt your brain. But touching on that experience of social media being a huge positive, that's how we actually connected in the first place which is what i take my hat off to instagram for doing for me probably in the biggest way because i was in la at the time and i was going to a cryotherapy place always loved my high-tech recovery things whatever form they came in cryotherapy is obviously one of them jump in an ice cold chamber and yeah whatever the hell that does <laughs> and the guy that ran it i think his name was chris and he was i told him about my challenge which is half the reason i think they let me go in there for free and he was like, oh, you should follow this guy called Robbie, Robbie Balanga. I don't even think he knew your name. <laughs> and I was like, okay, cool. Like, what's his story? And he was like, oh, he's currently running across the USA. And I was like, fucking hell, that aligns with my run of the UK. I was like, I'm definitely going to follow this guy. So I followed you seven days into that challenge and watched like a hawk every day. I tried to suppress my appetite to hit you up because I didn't know what you were doing, but I assumed you were busy. <laughs> I hit you up with like a few messages along the way being like, I'm watching from London or whatever. You're doing great. Keep it up. Uh, I probably spoke with Shelly a bit. And then I waited. You'd been in New York, been there for like a week and I was itching. I was itching to reach out because I knew I had to talk to you about what I was doing. I knew you could help me massively. And so I reach out a week later and I'm like, hi, my name's Will. I'm running from John O'Groats Land's End. Watched your story, blah, blah, blah. Lick your bum some more. But it worked. <laughs> it, it worked. We're here now. And just, just like as a shout out to you as well, we just had that brief conversation. And then I was going back to LA and obviously you're in Denver. And I sent out like a, like a rogue message like, I'm coming over for 4th of July. I'm going to be in LA. I know Denver isn't far away. It's like, would you be up for a training run? Like, I'll, f I'll fly over, I'll get a hotel and like, I'd love to just pick your brains about what you did. And there you come, you pull up to Denver airport, you pick me up <laughs> and we go straight to Boulder, Boulder, which what elevation is that at, by the way? Yeah, you were, we were running at like 6,000 feet after you were, you know, Gr on a plane for yeah. a couple of yeah, days. Yeah, exactly. And this guy, like, I'm the most unprepared person going, I arrive, I don't have a water bottle. He's got these two tiny ones. 
and we go on this 10 mile run from 6,000 to 7,000 or whatever it is, I think I'm going to actually die at the end. You're being real nice to me the whole way around saying how well I'm doing. I'm not in, sh- I'm not really in running shape. Let's be honest. I wasn't at the time. And then we go and get some beers afterwards and I nearly pass out. But the, just that thing of Instagram, how, how if you have good intentions and you see someone doing something well and you kind of just, you throw something out there, sometimes you get something back like a boomerang. And this was huge because then obviously a few months later, you end up flying out of, well, of your own back and giving your full self to me for 16 days and a couple either side to help me do my run. And I understand why you did that now, but is there a calling for you or a reason why you felt you had to do something so big because I think I think people will understand that going flying to another country to help someone for over two weeks isn't a normal thing to do. Even if you get if you're getting paid or whatever, or it's a huge opportunity. I kind of get it, but as far as I'm concerned, what I what I was offering you was just you sleeping in a van <laughs> and waking up early and running a lot every day, which to most people sounds like a shit time. Uh, I mean, for me, there was the aspect of one paying it forward. And that going with everyone that so selflessly helped me with my my run and my effort that was a part of it but william anybody that knows you you're you're an infectious human like you're you're just somebody that's like like a bad fun to be around yeah yeah you're you're it like a, you're just like a, you're someone like i was drawn to your energy and your desire to do this um i i acknowledge that you wanted this as badly as i wanted what i had set out to do and in seeing somebody that was in that position where they had this big effort ahead of them and maybe maybe still needed a little bit of guidance and help to get there. I just I was drawn to it. I wanted to. I wanted to to see you succeed at this. I think a lot of power comes from executing something like this. It, it makes you uh, someone that it, it can propel your life in a positive way. And that was kind of my hope for you. And what I see every day is like, look at you. You're inspiring people every day. And I wanted to be a a mechanism to allowing you to do that. And then also from a from a more selfish standpoint, I had done my run and, and to me it was it was it was a fascinating opportunity to see what it would look like from the other side like to one get to experience being the crew but also getting to watch someone else go through kind of similar things to what I did and it was kind of fascinating the the archetypes the things that I watched happen and the experience you had went so in line with mine the time frame was much different mm-hmm. and in that the ratio of when things happened was much different. Like your run in the end of the day was much more intense than mine because we had a lot of miles to cover in a short amount of time. Where mine, knowing that I had 75 days, we could kind of like pace it a little better. Like yours was more like a really long distance sprint where mine was like a long distance (laughs) marathon. And it was, I mean, yours was like pure chaos. Like it was just because of the amount of hours we were logging. We like I mean, it, for anybody that was wondering, like, you know, like William would be running from 16 to 20 hours a day. And Josh and I were awake at least an hour on either side of that. So there was a point mm-hmm. to where Josh and I weren't, were just not sleeping. And that in itself was as wild of, of an adventure and an endurance, you know, undertaking for me as it was my run itself. Yeah, no doubt. It was fun. I only realized that kind of afterwards as well, because you're so caught up in it. You're just like, I'm seeing you all the time, but it sometimes it didn't like cross my brain barrier that you guys were doing that. And obviously I was a dick sometimes. So I'll apologize again. <laughs> I try and apologize every time, every time <laughs> I speak with you both in the video. I'm like, ah, there was this sorry, one time, sorry James, about that James, one time. <laughs> James, there was this one time we're like day three or four or five in, I don't really know. And we get ahead of William, like a good, a good ways. <laughs> 
And uh, Josh and I just pass out in the van. And literally my face was just smashed up against the glass. <laughs> and we just are out cold. And I wake up to William just banging on my face through the glass. And today, like I, when I think about that one, I, just, I, I die. Like it was one of the funniest things that's ever happened. I, I mean, we were we were catching Z's whenever we could. I was just a zombie passing by, a pissed off zombie. <laughs> totally. Oh dear. Okay, so we've spoke about your challenge. We spoke about your involvement in my challenge. I know you're in the middle of one right now, the Texas Two Step. Do you want to do you want to elaborate on what the hell that is? It sounds like sweet Southern country loving, so, but I know it's not. <laughs> yeah, it um, it's a virtual race. It, honestly, it's to keep me like motivated and in check for another race. But it's a fifteen hundred, one thousand five hundred thirteen mile virtual race, and that's essentially the distance you would cover if you went east to west across Texas and then north to south. I lived in Texas for many years. A lot of my heart's still in Austin, Texas. So it's just fun way to keep my mileage up. I'll be honest, we're on go beginning of week three of it. My expectations for myself were to log a little bit higher mileage than I have, but it's been really fucking cold here. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's about everything I got in me to get in 10 miles a day when it's you know negative 13 C when you're you know, starting your run. But it's, yeah, I, my hope is in the next couple of weeks to really ramp up the miles. And I'm preparing for uh, a last man standing race, uh, which is actually going to be down in Texas in April. And that will essentially the format for those for anyone that's not familiar is you run a 4.122 mile loop once an hour. And you have to start again, this, the loop again on the beginning of every hour. And it's until the last man standing. So it'll essentially just be how many days can I just continue to do that? That 4.12 works out to a 24 hour hundred miler. So getting time in between to rest, but you got to start every hour on that hour. I'm, I'm excited. To me, it's something that the type of events we've done where you have to get up and keep going every day. Multiple times a day, you stop to rest and get some food when you're running across a country and then you got to get back at it. And that's really the hard part of these races is getting back at it. And I think that's something that we're kind of programmed to do at this point. Dollar will be there too soon, Mr. 60K. What's your next one, James? That's me. Done. <laughs> <I'm out>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, at the time when I planned it and when I ran it, I was like, yeah, this is poor. This is longer than a marathon. This is an ultra marathon. And then I hang out with the likes of Will and speak to guys like you. And like we had Fergus Crawley on the podcast the other day and the distances you guys are doing just blows anything I've ever even known out of the water. And it's the speed that you do it as well. I just, it just, it really fascinates me. What goes through your head while you even think of doing these things, but also inspires me. But I think that's me. I think 60K is me done. I'm quite happy to tick that one off. (laughs) That's pretty good. I'm into it. Yeah, James, you're a big functional fitness muscle up king guy. So you doing 60K, you could say is like, I mean, I'm kind of halfway in between because I'm still too big to run. But between me and Robbie, that's like him running 150 miles, isn't it? We can give him some credit, can't we here, Robbie? Yeah, I'm not exactly designed for running. Imagine a house brick (laughs) as a person. (laughs) That's probably my body shape. Not designed for endurance at all. A good looking house brick. (laughs) Yeah, even like maybe when you were younger as well, like what inspired you to even 
think of doing these ridiculous distances and how has that changed over time in terms of who inspired you to do it? But then obviously now you are one of those people that inspires other people who now inspires you. Yeah, I think like for me, the inspiration and like, especially endurance stuff, uh, ultra running came via a chance encounter with, um, I was living down in Austin, Texas. I was running these restaurants that got me into running, but still like a lot of my identity was built into this, like I could party really hard. And that was what the way that I expressed what I thought it meant to be a man. I grew up without a father. So I was always, I think that's been kind of a fundamental search for me is what does it mean to be a, to be a man? And that was hard living. Like, I mean, you know, I could hit with the heart, you know, the hardest, like I could go out all night and that was where it was at. And then I make my way up to Colorado one weekend to go camping and happened to be at the start of what is called hard rock. It's the hardest ultra run in the United States, I would say, and happened to just fall upon this, this weekend. And all of the elite runners were kind of all hanging out in this little small town, like mountain town. And seeing them was just like beyond inspirational for me. It was just this moment where I was like, that's another version of what it's like to be a man. And that's a, a lot healthier version in a lot of ways. And so that kind of was where my inspiration to get into ultras came from was this desire to, to build grit in a different way. Like I had flexed the grit of what it meant to like work through a hangover and kind of wanted to see what it meant to like push my body and my mind. And that's where the inspiration started. And then along the way, as you get more into this, as anybody, when you get into any culture, any, any like thing you're really into, you start seeing people doing things and, and they just inspire you every day, every day. And now what inspires me is just that in itself, like seeing other people's efforts, what they can put in and what they do keeps me going. And the reality is, is there's always somebody that's better at it than you. And you should be looking for those people and using that as your inspiration. Like that's just true judge of character to me is like, what do you do when you find somebody that outdoes you? Does it piss you off? Does it make you not want to do that thing anymore? Well, then you need to, you need to, you need to get right with yourself. What it should do is just inspire you and be like, wow, okay, if that person can do that, well, what can I do? And so that's where it comes from. I mean, that's going back to this idea of what is social media and all of its horrible things. There's some really good parts to it. And that's it for me is like inspiration. Like, I, I love following people that are just kicking ass. I mean, that's what I love about all of you pure sport guys. Like, I just can't wait to get over there and meet you all in person. I, I know only a few, but your culture and the amount of people that are just pushing themselves and doing mad cool things. Uh, I love it. It fills up my Instagram feed all the time and keeps me going. Is there anything apart from the running that you do? Is there something else, another sport or some other challenge that you have got in your mind and thought, mm, I'd, I'd really like to do that? I'm pretty linear uh, when it comes to athletics. I run. I just run all the time. I, I need to put more in there and think about other things. Um, I'm fascinated by other efforts. I mean, I think Ironman is just like, to me, psychotic. I don't understand the swim part of it. Open water swimming Preach. for two miles before you before you run, a, you know, ride a bike for 112 miles and then run a marathon. That's fascinating to me. Something I hope to do at some point. But really, I mean, I, I, I wish I had a better answer, but I'm, I'm pretty linear. I just run. You just wait yeah. for the world to open so you can um, check out some of the English countryside, aren't you, Robbie? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> I, you know, that was for me the big bummer of, you know, the last year in this COVID thing was my world was opening up and I was going to start running a lot more internationally. You know, the year after my run across the U.S., I was able to come help William. I also ran in Peru. The night before we had our travel ban here, I had bought tickets to go 
race uh, race in South Africa that I was invited to. And that's the bummer of it for me. I just want to get out and see all my people and meet new folks and run run the world. I think a real good story to, to wrap this up would be what, what happened at the Peru trip and how did you get to the airport? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I went down for uh, a stage race, three-day marathon to Sabal's, uh, one of their, their races in Peru in the Ica Desert, um, Ica. And <laughs> you essentially, you have a tent that you sleep in every night and you carry your shit with you all day. And then you come back to that place and camp again. I woke up the first morning and I felt awful. I was, I was just in bad shape, didn't feel good. I was freezing and I was in the middle of the desert. It was hot. So I spent the whole day trying to push through the first leg of the race. It was only a 30K, uh, but it took me literally all day to do. I finished, I walked right into the med tent and I had a temperature of uh, what 112 is Fahrenheit. I'm not sure what it is, C, but it's- Really too high. I should have been dead, essentially. Uh, yeah. They had to pack ice around my body to bring my core temperature down. I was super sick. They evacuated me out of the desert. So that was it for the race. The guy I was there with, Cam Williams, he also ran across the U.S. in 2019. He, he left with me as a good friend, a good mate. He was like, I need to make sure you're all right. So we made it back to a hotel. The next day, I was feeling much, much better. By the end of the day, I was having a beer by beer four. We decided to see how far it would be just to run back to Lima. And it was like 135 miles up the Pan American Highway. So we started the next morning and ran for three days and caught our flight by like 20 minutes. But yeah, so we made an endurance event out of it. For, you know, it was kind of our own, but that was, that's the fun of all these things is getting somewhere where you're, you know, unfamiliar and uncomfortable and then just making the best out of it for which we did. <laughs> But yeah, that was that was my trip to Lima. <laughs> I've just Googled uh, 112 Fahrenheit is 44 degrees Celsius, which is that ridiculous. Is dead, isn't it? it wasn't good. Yeah, I wasn't. I was. I was not in a good place. <laughs> just the audacity to. Well, I can. I can see it. You feel a bit better the next day, so you have a few beers, and then that conversation gets thrown out there <laughs> that you should yeah, run yeah. to the airport because it seems feasible. <laughs> And the funny thing about that is like when you find yourself somewhere like, you know, Peru, like we asked this guy before we started, we're like, hey, is it legal for us to run on the highway? And he's like, you're in Peru. Nothing's illegal. And <laughs> <laughs> I was like, like, all right, let's do it. Unbelievable. Well, <clears throat> we've taken up enough of your time. I'm sure there's a huge amount of takeaways for people here. Definitely a lot of laughs. So yeah, I just want to thank you personally on behalf of me and the whole Pure Sport family for, for joining us for this one, Robbie. Um, I'm blessed to know you personally. What you're doing in the world is incredibly inspiring to many. And yeah, I'm, I feel blessed just to have you around and be able to even follow your journey. So you're, you're a great man. Uh, I appreciate you, brother. Thanks very much. Yeah, guys, it's both. It's great to chat with you both. You know, I'm really, as I said in the podcast, I'm kind of obsessed with what you guys are doing over there with Pure Sport and excited to just be a little part of it wherever I can. So thanks for thanks for having Hopefully me on. One day you get over here and I can maybe do a park run with you or something, maybe a little 5K. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> I hope to be over there. As soon as they open up the gates, I'm coming. And hey, we'll get you some Pure Sport Run Club gears out. We are set and ready right. to do that. So you'll be repping again. I'm excited. Appreciate you, Robbie. Big love. Thanks to everyone that listened. Bye. All right, guys. See y'all later. Yo, thank you, Pure Sport fan, for tuning in. 
As a valued listener, we'd like to offer you a 20% discount code site-wide on puresportcbd.com. Use the code PROJECT20 to level up your life. If you like this podcast, like, subscribe and share with your friends. And remember, no stress, stay blessed and we'll catch you next time.